today, I am eager to share with you uh, the next step in the ancient way. And uh, my sermon series, The Ancient Way, has been uh, a lot of fun for me, a lot of, lot of thoughts, a lot of provocation. Uh, this week I read another book, uh, this time by Eric Metaxas, and uh, I talked to the guys at the uh, men's breakfast about it a little bit. It got me, uh, Metaxas got my goat, basically. And um, some of you may have read Eric Metaxas's Bonhoeffer book or maybe his Martin Luther biography. Uh, he's written a, a number of books. He's a New York Times number one bestseller. Uh, and it has quite a, 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 an out, uh, quite a large voice in the conservative Christian world at the moment. Anyway, he's a, he is... Um, he, wrote a, he penned a book called Letter to the American Church, and it came out last week, and I read it. Uh, and in this book, I found a challenge, uh, some challenge. Some, I think, uh, was definitely a, a little a kick in the rear end for me, a little, a little kick in the pants. But the other, the other side of it, also some things that, that I, um, I found a little troubling. Um, and uh, we don't have time to talk about it all now, but suffice it to say that the, that the wrestling with it has continued my train of thought about how we address uh, our our way, our Christian way, how we walk in that way in the midst of our current culture. And uh, I think this is the challenge for every Christian generation, is how to engage with culture, uh, how not to be conformed to the culture, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and yet to be in the world and not of it. So um, not... Uh, not the kind of uh, crusading that has happened in previous generations, but how to learn to live amongst these people and yet still shine as the billboard for Christ that we need to be. And uh, so Metaxas is just another another milestone in, the, in, in my uh, thinking journey here who's got me wrestling around with things. And if any of you happen to read his book and want to have a chat about it, uh, maybe we could make that a theme of a, of a little study outside of Sunday morning. Uh, I would certainly in, enjoy the, um, the back and forth. The men's breakfast was actually really, really fun. Rich and, uh, and Russ and Ted and I and uh, my friend Craig from New Zealand, uh, we had a, a really good uh, discussion this last Thursday morning. And I thought I would have loved to have had some of some more of you fellows there. I thought Paul would probably add a lot to it. And and, uh, and Doug, I was was looking for you, my brother. I was looking for your wisdom. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, I encourage lots of discussion and lots of thought uh, amongst us. I encourage you to uh, to develop those friendships that you have into a deeper a deeper level, a, le- a level of uh, of interaction around the Word of God and around difficult topics uh, of of adjustment along with culture. Uh, because I think this is the way that we grow. I think iron sharpens iron. You know what I'm saying? Ladies, I encourage you to do the same thing. I encourage you in your discussions with one another to, uh, to talk about uh, important things uh, that, that Jesus has told us to do and difficult things that you find difficult to implement or, or perhaps uh, difficult things that your family find uh, are hard to, to maintain, uh, spiritual disciplines and so forth, or struggle with, with things, wrestle with things, because I believe God's calling us as a church to be uh, aware of the times we live in and aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us in this unique moment in history. Some of you uh, keep up with the news and, uh, and so the ramping up of what's happening in the war in Ukraine and, uh, and Russia's response now and, uh, and then the ramping up with, with uh, American, um, 
uh, warships in uh, in Korea and uh, in the Straits there off of Taiwan and uh, and the rhetoric that's 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 escalating with China uh, and so forth. There are uh, there are some things going on in our world, and I think Metaxas has a, a bit of a strong challenge to us. These are the things we talked about a few weeks ago before we sent our kids back to school. We talked about the agendas of the world around us, the, the loud voices, the voices for um, uh, redefining uh, sexuality and uh, gender identity and um, and transgenderism and these things. These are loud things that are that are around us all the time. And as Christians, we we should dialogue about this. I think it's important for us to see and to understand and to know how we as a family walk forward in the midst of this. The most important thing for us as a fellowship is to find out where is Jesus in all of this and to follow him. After all, isn't that what the pilgrimage is about? It's about following Jesus. We're not making our own way through this this wilderness. Jesus is leading us. And uh, I love that that um, uh, that, that illustration that we have in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were released from their captivity and taken on the way to their promised land, they did not just simply wander the wilderness on their own. Everywhere they went, they followed the cloud by day and the fire by night. And so we need to find the cloud and we need to find the fire, don't we? And we need to follow Jesus. And I think part of the way that we do that is we dialogue with one another and we wrestle through the difficult things and we have strong enough relationships with one another to disagree without losing our friendships. And, uh, and, and the disagreement with one another done in a context of love and a context of learning, a context of wanting to know, hey, okay, so you think about it this way, I think about it this way. Is there a way to, for us to find, is one of these ways right? Are both of these ways right? Is one wrong or both wrong? Where is Jesus in the midst of this? We should have the strong kind of relationships as believers that allow us to have those discussions while still maintaining the unity of the faith. Does that make sense? And, uh, and so I want to exhort you and encourage you into that. I encourage you to be thinkers, uh, to read the Word first, above all else. Read the Word of God and become so well uh, acquainted with the Scriptures that, uh, that you know when, uh, when the Scripture is being quoted. You know when it's being referenced to. When the Holy Spirit gives you just that little nudge, you know, ah, yes, I, I recognize that. That is, that is appropriate. That is orthodox. That is the Holy Spirit at work. I encourage you to be experts in the word of the Lord. And then I also encourage you to engage with the current leaders, the voices that God has given us in our current generation. There are some amazing scriptural voices. God is speaking. They're not speaking scripture, but in other words, their words are not, they don't hold the same authority as scripture. But these are men and women of God in our current age who are used by God to help us hear and discern. And so I invite you to be familiar with that, to make it a priority in your life above other things. So entertainment, for example, a beautiful, beautiful gift that God gives us as long as entertainment is in its place, as long as it doesn't take over all of our free time. And I speak to a younger generation that are, um, uh, you know, we, uh, the younger generation, they, they work hard at school, uh, they play their sports, they do their homework, and then it's, it's fun to sit down in front of a video game or a TV and just not have to think about anything. But I encourage you, young generation, don't waste all of your free time there. Some of it is important and it's good for you to unwind. Uh, 
as long as what it is that you're watching or playing uh, is not contrary to the scripture. And if Jesus would be perfectly happy to sit there and play that game with you or watch that show with you, then you should be okay. But uh, I, am, I invite you into a deeper understanding of your place in this, in this generation. And I speak to that younger generation and say, be careful. Be careful what you're reading. Be careful the music you're listening to. Because whatever it is that we're pumping into ourselves becomes what comes out of us. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What goes in will come out. And uh, although Jesus did tell us that it is from the depths of our own hearts and desires that evil flow, uh, the context of his statement uh, is appropriate in in its actual place, but it does not nullify the fact that garbage in, garbage out is a real, a real principle. Okay, so I just invite you to be selective, and as a congregation, not just the young, but the older ones as well. When our kids grew up, we started to become a little more tolerant of uh, of, of certain things. Well, we're adulting now, so there are certain adult ideas we can we can watch in, in our entertainment that are maybe uh, that give rise to more uh, engaging discussions and so forth. But I invite you as adults to, to still keep your gates up and keep the guard there. And, and, and remember that we are influenced by these voices. We can be. And if we don't have a stronger voice for righteousness, then the voices of entertainment, the voices within the entertainment are strong forces to change us and to conform us to the ways of the world and the way the world thinks. And I invite you as a congregation to say, look, we're going to be selective about the voices. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. So I want to say that the way, the ancient way, requires that we walk in the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom. Somebody just, just say it. The way of wisdom. The way of wisdom. Yeah. Sorry, that's an overflow from chapel. I, I make the kids in chapel repeat these things. The way of wisdom. I want to talk about the way of wisdom today. That's today's version of the ancient way. And I'd like for you to turn in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 15 through 23, to just a familiar passage. And uh, thank you, Richard, for Ephesians earlier today. And uh, now Ephesians 1. Uh, And I want you to see the prayer that the Apostle Paul prays over the Ephesian church. And uh, you're familiar with it already, but just listen to this with the... Um, I, want you, I want you to listen for the, words, uh, for the word wisdom in here. And then any word that's associated with it, understanding, enlightenment, um, discernment, etc. For this reason, brothers, I have heard of your faith... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom, revelation knowledge having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might 
Now, we read a passage similar to this in Colossians last week, you may recall, at least in some ways, and, and uh, particularly with the working of God that's at work within us. And I asked you the question, in what way is God at work within you? Let me read it again. These three things that you may know, what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is the prayer. The prayer is that we'll have wisdom and revelation and that we'll know and understand these things, that there's a specific path of knowledge that God wants us to have. Three what's. This is what he wants you to know. And I'm not going to take time to unpack all of that for you. That's another sermon for another day. But I wanted you to see that the prayer that Paul had for the church was that they would have wisdom. And I think this is the, start, the starting point, the departure point for us. We've already had... Uh, some discussions about uh, what is not the way. Uh, we've talked about how we need to, um, that we recognize that there is a way and there is not a way. There's a, there's a broad way that leads to destruction and a narrow way that leads to life. We've talked about that. We've talked a little bit about some of the troubles in our, uh, our community around us, at least in general terms, and some of the big ones that we all recognize and identify. Uh, and we've talked about some of the, uh, uh, the things that may happen if we choose the wrong path, that we'll end up in the wrong destination. But having settled all of that and having sort of gotten over the, 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 the basic elements of that, now I, I don't want to spend time focusing so much on what we should not do, but I'd really like to talk about what the path is, what the way forward is. And I'd like a departure point for us and say this is the beginning of the way, the ancient way. And so I would, as I was wrestling with the Lord about this and saying, where, where's, the, where's the starting point? I thought about that statement that, uh, that you read so often in the book of Proverbs and other parts of the Old Testament, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, isn't it? The fear of the Lord. And, and I thought, okay, there is a, there's a departure point when it comes to our faith. There, there is a moment of beginnings uh, on this ancient way. There is a day when you don your backpack and you head out the door, and that's it. You're, you are now officially on the way. We've done some preparation in, in, in leading up to this point, and I've kind of told you we need to have the Holy Spirit with us, and we need to have the Word of God. That's in our backpack now. We, we've, we've had moments in these sermons to talk about how important the Word of God is and why it has authority in our lives and who has the authority in our lives. We've asked that question. Now we've got the backpack on, and it's time to step out the door. What is the first step? The first step is we need to get wisdom. We need to get wisdom. We need to gain understanding. Knowledge and, 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 uh, and, and, um, and, and information are important, but we need to be able to synthesize that. We need to be able to bring it together, and we need to find the way to read the language around us, the language of nature, the language of events, the language of God speaking, even in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, and uh, through, through the environment, through, through, through uh, even politics, through all that. We need to be able to discern the voice of God in the midst of those thundering voices, and we need to understand the Word of God and be able to implement it. That's wisdom, my brothers and sisters. So how do we go there? What is wisdom? And, uh, and so I, I decided that I would, 
I would take a stab at it today, and we'd look at the four teachers uh, in Scripture. This is a, just a brief overview of wisdom and how it's found through the Scripture. There are four teachers of wisdom in the Bible, and, uh, and those teachers are Job, Solomon, the preacher, and Jesus. Uh, of course, you can gain wisdom all throughout the Bible from beginning to end. Moses is going to certainly teach you wisdom, but I think Moses teaches us more about worship uh, than he does teach us wisdom. I think Moses uh, and Abraham teach us about faith. And, and so we'll, we'll talk about the, the, the way of faith later or the way of worship later, but today the way of wisdom. Let's understand the wisdom that is, that is taught through the scripture. Uh, so really Solomon, we'll take him first. Even though Job predates Solomon, let's take Solomon's wisdom, which we, we, we know uh, is compiled for us in a, uh, a couple of books, but one in particular, the book of Proverbs. And, uh, and the book of Proverbs is a, uh, it's that you know, 31 chapters in the middle of your Bible, uh, right after the book of Psalms. And uh, many of the statements that Solomon made were recorded, or the, the, the ideas that he put forward were recorded in these pithy little statements, these two-liners, usually a contrast between one thing and another, and uh, sometimes just a, a one-sort of statement that's a, a proverbial thing for us. But, but the Proverbs of Solomon are filled, jammed with wisdom, and they have a particular bent. Uh, Solomon also takes the first nine chapters or ten chapters to talk about the contrast between two uh, women, the, the, the virtuous woman and, and the seductive, uh, the, the, the adulteress. And, uh, and of course, he's not talking about women at all. Uh, although you certainly can read that into there because that's a portion of wisdom. But he's not talking about women. He's talking about wisdom versus the ideology of the world. He's talking about God's understanding and, uh, and God's way versus the way of the world. And they are given to us in this illustration of two women. One virtuous who stands on the street corners and calls out to the passersby saying, Come here, I've mixed my wine, I have made bread. Come in all who are thirsty, all who are hungry. Come and learn wisdom and grow here. In this, it's not in secret, it's in broad daylight. She stands in the gates of the city or even in the high places of the city and declares, come in here. Because the word of the Lord is not a secretive thing. It's not presented in a secret society. It's shouted from the rooftops. It always has been. The Lord has never been shy about speaking his truth. It's not done in darkness. Nicodemus came to Jesus under the guise of, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the darkness. But Jesus directed him to the light. And uh, Nicodemus at the beginning comes to Jesus in darkness, but at the end is busy taking the body of Jesus and burying it in a tomb and dis dis declaring for all where he is and, and, and where his faith lies. And so uh, we recognize that the pathway of righteousness is out of darkness into light. But the seductress of the book of Proverbs is one who takes people out of light and into darkness always into the secret, into the shadows, into the places of, of, uh, uh, of, of um, uh, uh, forbidden bread. And that is the way of the world, the way of the world walking away from, from, uh, uh, from openness, from, from righteousness into secret desires of the heart. And, uh, and so the book of Proverbs really isn't about, um, it isn't just about, uh, avoiding adulteresses, fellas. You may have read the book of Proverbs and thought, wow, this is, he really had an issue with women, didn't he? It's actually, 
it's not about that at all. I'm glad to introduce you to the deeper level of the Book of Wisdom that Solomon has. But there is one very, very important uh, theme that we have in Solomon's books, uh, in Solomon's book of Proverbs. And that is, uh, he has a principle which he upholds, and it is a, uh, an important principle. It's what we might know as the law of sowing and reaping. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And Solomon presents this as a fundamental truth. And um, before we read that, um, I just want to take a moment to read uh, Proverbs chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 22 through 31, uh, because this is a really beautiful passage about wisdom and why it is that we need to get wisdom. And uh, you'll recognize some of these words. Proverbs chapter 8, and verse 22. Wisdom is speaking. This is the virtuous woman, wisdom. And she says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world that would be mankind. When he established the heavens, I was there. And when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Now, I don't have time to get into it, but there are other passages in the Scripture that make us believe that this wisdom that speaks right here in feminine voice is also... The Holy Spirit, because there's a passage in Isaiah that speaks to this about the Holy Spirit in, in a similar fashion, uh, about being there at the foundation, the creation of the world, that the Lord, that the, the, the Holy Spirit was, was with God in, in the creation of these things. And, and of course, the Holy Spirit is not feminine, it's not female, but God, is, uh, God has demonstrated himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but of course, uh, we understand from the very first days of creation that God made man and woman in his image, in his likeness, in his image, he made them, male and female. So uh, for us to see God, whether in, in a male uh, way or a female way in the, in the scripture, this is not problematic at all. Okay? If you have any questions about that and need further clarification, come to me later and I'll help you try to process through that. But God is not male or female. God is God. Uh, he has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons. Uh, but it is, it is okay for him to, uh, for him to speak here uh, with a voice, with this, in this voice, as, as wisdom. Uh, we know that the Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of wisdom. Um, at the same time, wisdom is not created. So this passage has some, uh, has some uh, troubling elements for theologians because it seems that the wisdom was brought forth but that doesn't mean that wisdom was created it seems that wisdom was prior to the creation before the mountains before the oceans before all of that so there seems to be an uncreated nature here to this wisdom that we're receiving so for whatever it's worth all of that was to say that the holy spirit and wisdom are linked together very very tightly understand and this is why i believe in the new testament the apostle paul tells us walk in the spirit not according to the flesh 
And the spirit of God is the spirit of wisdom, amongst other things. Does that make sense? Okay. Solomon speaks about this principle of sowing and reaping. And, uh, and so as we pursue the spirit of wisdom, and we, as we learn from the spirit of wisdom, from the spirit of the Lord who is calling us, saying, come this way, uh, I think it's important for us to start with the most fundamental of spiritual principles, and that is the law of sowing and reaping. It's also known in the Old Testament as the retribution principle. What you do gets done unto you. Okay? And so we've all heard about it in, in many ways, but uh, particularly you've probably heard these things in regard to the, the doctrines of tithing. Uh, Malachi, for example, speaks with the retribution principle in mind and says, test the Lord in this, that as you give to him, will he not open up the windows of heaven for you? So there's a giving and a receiving that are directly related to this principle of sowing and reaping. And the Bible says, do not be mocked. Now, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. This is New Testament. Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. And the retribution principle is all throughout the book of Proverbs. So we learn that if you give yourself to foolishness, you will reap foolishness. But the companion of the wise will become wise. There's a retribution principle. You understand? Are you tracking with me on this? However, if all we have in terms of our journey of wisdom is the retribution principle, then I believe that many of us will fall away from our faith in Christ Jesus. Because the evidence is, uh, is weighing very heavily in favor of the retribution principle not being completely reliable. How many of you have given to the Lord and not received what you were expecting to receive? You don't have to raise your hand to the answer that question, but I think every one of us knows that there have been those really troubling times when we say, God, I don't understand what's happening to me right now because I've been faithful to you. So for example, at work, you were honest and you didn't lie and you didn't steal and you got fired. Has that ever happened to you? Or does it happen to somebody that you know? And you say, but God, I did the right and the righteous thing. And you told me that if I do the righteous thing, I will receive the righteous one's reward. And you said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. So, Lord, I am wrestling with your promises because your promises don't seem to be certain. If there's anybody in the room or anybody online that's ever struggled with the promises of the Lord not seeming to be uh, uh, consistent, then congratulations. You've arrived at the point where you need more wisdom than what Solomon had to give. Solomon offered us a principle which is largely and most often true. And I want to elevate that in our minds, especially for parents who are raising children. It is absolutely imperative as we walk on the way of wisdom that we teach our children that the retribution principle is most often true. And ultimately, always true. The retribution principle is ultimately always true because life doesn't end at the grave. This earthly life ends at the grave, but after that we stand before the Lord and are judged according to our works and according to our faith. Thank you, New Testament. But all these things come before the Lord and every idle word must be given account for. And so it is that those who seem to get away with things in the temporary world in which we live will come face to face with their retribution 
at the end. And so it is absolutely imperative that we as teachers for our children and for our fellows around us, that we uphold the retribution principle as being mostly true in our experience now, always true ultimately. And that's why we can teach our children that they are to treat others with the same kind of respect that they want to be treated with themselves. And we can say to those who pursue unrighteous gain that unrighteous mammon destroys the ones who gain it. And we can speak to these principles with clarity and with confidence, saying to our children, listen, you're going to do the right thing because it honors the Lord, even if the result of it in the immediate is disadvantageous. Does that make sense? So on the way of wisdom, let us remember that the retribution principle or the law of sowing and reaping is God-breathed and ultimately correct. But let's also recognize that when it is not evidenced by our immediate experience or even by our long-term experience, that we need a greater wisdom from the Lord. This does not render Solomon's wisdom obsolete. It just makes it incomplete. Okay, so the next one, the next teacher then would be Job. Job would teach us, I believe, uh, that, um, well, actually, maybe not. Let's take the preacher. Let's take the preacher from Ecclesiastes. Now, this may, in fact, be Solomon. We're not quite certain because he doesn't name himself as Solomon. He just says he was king of Israel and, uh, and that he reigned in the city of David and, uh, and that he was descended uh, from David. But it doesn't actually identify, self-identify as Solomon. So it could be Solomon. But the preacher, or uh, the, the Hebrew name is Koheleth, Koheleth, in the book of Ecclesiastes, gives us another version of wisdom. And uh, I don't have time to take you to all these passages now because I've got four minutes on the board. Let's see what we can get. I encourage you to read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a short book. And, uh, but read it after you've read the book of Proverbs. And, uh, and read it with this in mind, that it's teaching you something other than what the book of Proverbs taught you. It's the next step. It's the next level. You've now passed beyond preschool into elementary school. And in elementary school, you're going to learn one of the most important lessons that you could learn about life, and that, that is that it is a vapor, that our life is a breath. It is a vapor. As the preacher puts it, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And what he teaches is humility. Somebody say humility. So you've got, you've got the retribution principle, and now you have humility. Humility teaches us, first of all, there is nothing we can build that will remain. Absolutely nothing. We ourselves are on the fast track back to the dust from which we came. The preacher of Ecclesiastes teaches us that, that it is no benefit to us to become exceedingly pious. As it is no benefit to us to be exceedingly flagrant with the things of, of, uh, of life. He teaches us a balance a balance that actually is profoundly peaceful. The preacher teaches us that there's got to be more to life and that there will come a reckoning one day. But he teaches us this humility that says, I am not great, and even if I was, everything that I build will be left to another. And 
how will I know? I, I, I gather all this wealth, I gather all these riches, and then I die. And everything I've done gets passed on to somebody else. And what are they going to do with what I did? It gives us a sense of, of propriety in this, in this world in which we live. We own nothing. And therefore, we, we ought to go about life more humbly than, than we would have. And so the greatest of achievements of men ought not to draw our attention away. It is true that we are drawn away by the voices of those who appear to be most successful. But the preacher teaches us that that is foolishness. Because as it turns out, oftentimes the wise are the poor ones. And the fools are the wealthy ones. And this is, this is an abomination. It's vanity. It's a vapor. It's meaningless. Until Christ... But the voices of the world around us, they speak to us because of their wealth, because of the shininess of the things that they develop, because of their big houses and big yachts and big cars and fancy vacations. They, they call us away. They draw away our attention. They make us yearn for what they have. And that, my beloved brothers and sisters, is not wise. That is not the path of wisdom. So you young folks, listen carefully and understand that just because somebody has a loud voice doesn't mean they have the right voice. And just because they're bejeweled with gold chains and fancy watches and because they have a music video with lots of women, this does not make them right or righteous. And it is vanity. And the humility that is taught to us in that is profound. And so the lesson of elementary school wisdom and the way of wisdom is humility. Then comes Job, and Job teaches us suffering. Job teaches us about suffering. Suffering is ubiquitous with life. We live in a world of suffering, and every religion of the world has tried to find an answer to suffering. Job teaches us a greater answer than any of the religions of the world have ever offered he is unique in that. Job gives us something absolutely profound. No other religion of the world offers anything even remotely close to the answer to suffering that Job gives us. The book of Job is, without a doubt, the most profound of all the books of wisdom and teaches us about Christ. And it teaches us the, the, uh, the pathway to total freedom. It requires a teacher because as you read through the book of Job on your own, you could be easily persuaded that it's confusing. Job's own friends don't understand Job's suffering, and so they come at it with the retribution principle. They say, Job, what's happening to you is only because, and must be because, and could not possibly be any other way, but because you have sinned, and you are getting what is yours. You gave iniquity, and you are reaping suffering. But that is not actually true. And we know that from the opening verses of the first chapter. We know that there was an enemy in heaven speaking against Job to God. But God initiated it and said, have you seen my servant Job? And we know that that is not the Job sinned that he was given all those, uh, those uh, tragedies that they came upon him. But because Job was righteous that the tragedies came upon him. And suffering takes on a whole new meaning through the wisdom of the book of Job. And as we teach our children, we need to teach them that being obedient to Christ does not mean exemption from suffering. But it does mean ultimately 
healing. And one day he will wipe away every tear and he will cleanse us. But we will be utterly and completely free from the tyranny of the enemy who will have been totally and absolutely shattered and destroyed in our lives. And the work of Satan will be reversed and we will have to us restored everything that God had originally intended for us right at the right time. And this is something that we must teach our children, that as we walk through the way, the ancient way, it is not free from sorrow or suffering. And there will be difficult decisions like our Russian brothers are having to make right now, like, like the, the, the orphans uh, who, who just found themselves for the first time in a house where they're safe and now they have to leave because of war and don't know where they fit. But Christ is with them. We must teach our children that, that success is not our goal, but obedience is our goal. And that success comes and success goes and wealth makes wings for itself and flies away. But what remains is the word of the Lord and it will be forever. And these are the ways of wisdom that we must teach our children. And the fourth teacher of wisdom and the greatest of all, one who is greater than Solomon, is here amongst us. And his name is Jesus. And he has taught us that the way of wisdom is love. But it is more than the love, the puny love that the world sings about and croons about and parades around as if somehow they have expert knowledge on it. They know nothing of love. But Christ is love and he has come to show us that the way of wisdom is the kingdom of God. He has come to show us that nationalism and creating our own identity and having kingdoms on this earth, having families that are well established and have all our needs met and then Binding those families together in communities that are strong and then creating governments and, 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 and organizing our constitutions around that and separating ourselves out from the world as those who follow Jesus and we are the new called chosen of the Lord and establishing our political dominions. This is not the kingdom. The kingdom of God breaks down those barriers, breaks down those walls, goes across the lines, goes across the tracks, crosses over the ocean, climbs over mountains, goes through valleys and finds the least of these to bring them back. And you need to teach your children that the trumpet call of nationalism is not new and wasn't without precedent in the days of Christ, even amongst his own disciples. But the most nationalistic of them all betrayed him. And let us learn the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus that teaches us that we are not great because we are America, Thank God for America and God bless America. But that's not the end goal. We need to teach our children that something greater than America is here. 
We need to teach our children that the kingdom of God has come amongst us. It is not a kingdom visible with eyes, but it is a kingdom that is alive in our hearts. It is a kingdom that allows us to rub shoulders with the homeless and the billionaires at the same time. It is the kingdom of God within us that teaches us to love people even when they are unlovely. And it teaches us that we are forgiven and therefore we shall forgive. The kingdom of God that raises us up from all of our various walks of life and thrusts us together in an unlikely family and teaches us to have patience with one another and humility and to treat one another with greater respect than we deserve and to honor one, uh, honor one another above our own selves and to look for ways to take what has been given to us and to freely give it away, knowing that there is nothing that we can hold on to that will endure anyway, for all is a vapor. But only the glory of God will remain. And what is of God will never pass away. And we need to teach our children these things so that they learn in their pursuit of their careers, in their pursuit of the future, in their pursuit of peace within their own communities, even in their pursuit of, of, of uh, the enforcement of laws and the establishment of righteousness and justice within our communities, which is a good thing. We need to teach our children that while they are doing that, they are doing that with a full understanding that all is Christ's and all else is nothing. Then our children will be able to take a stand for righteousness regardless of how the unrighteous have clothed themselves and are masquerading as angels of light. Then we will truly be able to say, we have no king but Christ alone. This is the way of wisdom. A summary, a brief look. I invite you to consider these four teachers of wisdom and take them in concert and know that Christ holds them all together. He was in all of them, revealing himself. But without each other, each of these are insufficient. So, learn them all and teach through them that your children and your children's children may know the way and walk in it. So be it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Papa. Bless these. In Jesus' name.